Would you take a moment to pray with me as we hear God's word this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gathered us at the beginning of this new week to be refreshed and encouraged by your word. We pray that as we hear the gospel, that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts this morning to fill us with a vibrant faith, a love for you, and a love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, last week, what we studied, what we took away is that when uh, connected Christians pay attention to God's word, right? When we watch that word closely, we stay safe. Sure, we should watch for false teachers. We should watch out for them. That's an important thing. But we primarily do that by watching Jesus' word, by paying close attention to Jesus' word. And, and we're pretty assured that when we do that, we will stay safe safe. We feed the poor, we, we help the homeless, we, we take care of and we take in people who want to have conversations uh, about anything they want. We welcome people from various religious backgrounds and various denominations to studies. We, we have those kinds of people over to our houses. When we have an opportunity though, or when I have an opportunity to, to pray publicly, you know, then I ask myself questions like, is this a way that I can watch Jesus' words? Uh, is everybody here going to watch Jesus' words the same way that I do? Or might I, might I end up misleading people about how to watch Jesus' words if I get involved in this situation? And close communion is a particularly important and a wonderful example for us. There's a time where we really want to watch Jesus and his words. We really want to watch who he is. And, and I don't want to think about whether or not somebody else watches Jesus in the same way, thinks about Jesus in the same way, has, has the same faith. I just want to focus on, on who Jesus is, and so that's a time where we are going to really watch what we do. That's a wonderful thing. This kind of attention to, to doctrine, to teaching, is a really powerful thing for a group of people. Uh, James Hine has this nice comment about serving. He says, the Christian millennials that seem to fare best by far when it comes to faith retention are the millions of young people who are taught to believe that the Bible is entirely the inspired word of God. Right? If you want to, if you want to have a good chance of keeping young people in faith, teach them that that God's word is an important thing. Watch it there. And Tom Rayner says that uh, he, that out of all of the people who were previously unchurched and became churched, ninety-one percent of them said that doctrine was important. Right? It's almost universal that good, solid teaching, watching the teaching, is an important thing. Now, one of our, one of our uh, forefathers though, tried to put this into practice with, with differing results. His name was John Kaler, and I've got his, his very beautiful mug up there for you. What, a, what an attractive-looking fellow, huh? Um, and around the turn of the century, 1900s, he was traveling out west, trying to gather together groups of Christians to form congregations. And in his travels, he met this very fine young uh, Presbyterian woman. They got into some good conversations, and she explained her biblical Christian opinion or teaching on the doctrine of election. Uh, and, and as Kaler listened to her, he thought to himself, well, that sounds very much like a good Lutheran thinking on the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election is this great biblical teaching that God has, has chosen us freely out of his grace to be saved. And so when you and I start to think, man, do I, do I really believe do I have enough faith? You know, am I certain that I have, have decided to believe in Jesus? We can say to ourselves, you know what? God chose us. It's his thing, and I don't have to worry about it. 
Uh, and this woman had this very strong you know, conviction about that. Uh, and so Kaler, as he listened to her explain what, what sounded to him like a very Lutheran way of thinking about election, he had to decide, you know, was he going to watch her carefully or what was he going to do about the situation? And he decided in that moment that the right thing to do was to explain how what she believed didn't match up with the church that she belonged to and what, that, what they believed. Right? She tried to explain the difference between what she said she believed and, and, and her church. And so he did that. And, <laughs> but the more he tried to do it, the more she reverted to her childhood and to her roots. And, and she pushed back uh, against his explanation. And, and her explanation actually turned into what her, her church believed. And, and to this day, well, to this day, Kaler's not alive anymore. But Kaler then realized what he said is, he said, to this day, I feel like slapping my mouth. Because on reflection, it's clear to me how even then already an intellectualism, a, a disputatiousness, which I had, which must at any cost put the other person in the wrong, had altogether spoiled the ecumenical spirit. You see what Kaler is saying here. He's saying he was trying to watch. He was trying to, to watch Jesus' words, watch Jesus' teaching. And what he ended up doing is ruining the the camaraderie, ruining the, the oneness in Christian fellowship that he had. And, and, and that ended up backfiring even on him, not just on the connection that he and this woman had, but he felt guilty. He felt ashamed because of, of what he's done. And I bet that he's not the only one. I bet all of us at some time or another have, have tried to watch Jesus' teaching and actually ended up feeling guilty uh, about our attitude, about our perspective. Right? We've actually ended up, it's, it's backfired on us, and we've wanted to slap our own mouths because of what we've said. Today, Jesus, he wants to tell us what goes along with our watchfulness. He wants us to, to discover what goes with our, our, our watchfulness. And so we're going to take a look at Romans 14. You can follow along in your paper Bible if you'd like, or in your own digital Bible, whatever you prefer. And, and let's discover what goes with our watchfulness. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking here in Romans chapter 14. And we're going to take a look, start with verse 2, because it tells us about the people involved. Paul there, there says, One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So we're going to focus on this second group first, right? The, this person whose faith is weak and they eat only vegetables. You know what that means? This means that they're vegetarians. Uh, and I don't think Paul is against meat. You, you can be a vegetarian, though, if you'd like. These little people, though, these are truly religious vegetarians. You know, these are the kind of people that walk into the hospital or on the airplane and they say, I'm sorry, I can't eat that. It's for religious reasons. I, I won't eat that food. You know, and, and in the ancient world, uh, well, what this means is these people were really watchful. Right? These are great people. These are people with strong religious convictions. They're excited to uphold their religion. They want to live by their religion. They're, they're passionate about their religious convictions. Uh, in the ancient world, there were really only two groups of 
people at Paul's time who wouldn't have eaten meat. Uh, the one would have been people who came from something of a Jewish background, and they just wanted to be kosher. They wanted to eat kosher, and in, in Rome, nothing would have really been kosher. Uh, or everything would have been questionable, and so they didn't eat any of it. And the other group would have come from a more Greek or a Roman background, and they were afraid of meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and so they didn't want to eat any of it either. Right? What you had is two different groups of people, two ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds, but they all came to the same conclusion. You can't eat meat. Now, these laws, these laws that these people were, were talking about, they were intended to keep these people clean before God. That was something that really only Jesus could do for them, and, and that was something Jesus did do for them. And so Jesus would end up saying, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Uh, and Paul would say, nothing is, is unclean. That's why Paul is saying to them, they're weak. Because these people have tried to, to take laws, and, and whether or not they're afraid of what other believers might think about them, or they're simply trying to show their loyalty to God, they are failing to apply the gospel of Jesus thoroughly in this matter of eating. Right? They're weak. They're, they're trying to hold up through either laws or their loyalty to God, their own spiritual life, their own faith life, instead of applying the gospel to their spiritual life. Now, weak doesn't mean that they're sinners. Weak doesn't mean that these people are sinning. Weak doesn't mean that they're bad people, that they're evil, that they're just really spiritually unhealthy. Weak simply means that they are failing to apply the gospel to their lives thoroughly in this matter. And I, I've known, you know, I've known plenty of Christians who don't want to drink. They know that they're saved by grace through faith. They know that God has given us lots of good gifts like money and technology and family and sex and yes, even alcohol. And yet they'll say to themselves, I don't want to drink. I'm not going to drink. I, I don't do that. Uh, and it's, it's not going to be okay. And, and you know, truthfully, Paul, I think, would say that's, that's weak because the gospel says, hey, there's nothing that we need to do to keep ourselves clean before God. That's an area that's weak. And maybe you know people in, in other areas, people who, who won't watch movies, people who won't use certain technology, people who won't wear certain clothes, people who won't listen to certain music. One area where this, where this strikes me, where this pops out to me, um, you know, I have some people who come to me sometimes and, and say, I was having this conversation, Pastor, I was talking to this person, and, and they were telling me about how, how they don't believe in God. They're telling me how angry they are because God doesn't seem to care. And I just couldn't stand to listen to it, Pastor. I had to go. I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And, and now, is that person, the person who listens to such conversation, is God upset at them? You know, is ta Satan taking away their salvation because they're listening to that kind of, of talk? Uh, of course not. The gospel is the only thing that secures their salvation. That, that's probably an area where they're simply weak. 
what we see here is, is yes, different cultures, different races, different groups of people in different times and places. I mean, you don't know anybody who doesn't eat meat because of their religious convictions, do you? Probably not. No, but I, I bet we all know people who either don't drink or, or, or don't use certain forms of technology, don't wear clothes, certain clothes, don't listen to music, don't watch certain movies, all of those things because of their religious convictions. Right? We probably know people who do all of those things. See, different cultures, different groups of people in different times and places are going to all apply the gospel differently to their lives. And some of that's okay, but, but a lot of that, that's all going to go away in eternity. That's all going to disappear. And, and we need these other cultures, these other groups of people, to show us how we should apply the gospel to our lives. What Paul is saying here for us is, yeah, there are these cultural differences. And we need to watch. We should watch. But watching well can't keep us from thoroughly applying the gospel to our lives. If you fail, if you stop at applying the gospel to your lives, then you've failed as in your Christian life. Now, here's the, the question for you as we, as we go on with this. If I'm the person who says, I, I don't drink, right? If you come to me after church today and you ask me and say, hey, pastor, let's go out and, and have some lunch together. We'll have a couple beers. And I say to you, no, I don't drink. How could you do that thing? I mean, really, how could you? I don't do that. Why would you want to do that? Could you really? How would you feel about that if, if, I, if I said that? Would you just say, oh, okay. Would you kind of scorn me? Maybe mock me a little bit? Or say, oh, really, Pastor? Come on, man. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, is it? Would you feel a little con contempt for me? Maybe chuckle a little bit about it? Do you see what Paul, Paul says here? He says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat everything. You know what that means, right? We, we instinctively feel that there's something wrong with the person who says, I don't do that. How could you do that? I don't, I don't listen to that kind, that kind of music. I don't, I don't watch those kind of movies. I, I, don't, I don't drive those kind of cars or, or treat my money like that. I don't, I don't do those things. How could you do that? Right? We, we think that's wrong. Why do we think that's wrong? We think that's wrong because that seems narrow-minded to us, doesn't it? We think, how could you possibly control me? Who are you to tell me how I should live my life? Uh, for Americans, individualism is, is a big deal. We recognize that narrow-mindedness isn't okay. But you see what else Paul says isn't okay here? Paul's also saying, you can't say the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt. The one who eats does not eat everything. Paul also is saying, if you're the person who says, who are you? tell me what to do. Oh, you don't do that. You don't drink that. You don't eat those foods. You don't watch those movies. You can't say that either, Paul is saying. If you're the person who walks around saying, well, those people don't do that thing. 
you can't say that either. Paul says there's really only one way to watch that actually matches what the gospel says. And, and did you catch what he said? He said, accept the weak. Paul uses the word accept. Now that doesn't mean tolerate. That's kind of how we tend to hear it. What, what Paul says here when he says accept is this word means that we, it's a Greek word that means to open up our arms and to make space for somebody. It means that we open up our, our homes and we change our home life to conform for somebody to, to fit in. It means that we, we adjust ourselves so that we can have a relationship with somebody who has very different beliefs, probably a different culture, different economy, different social status than us. This is the exact opposite, Paul is saying, of both of the other groups. The one group says, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and how could you possibly do this? And, and so the only person who's right is, is the person who does nothing. The other group says, I don't judge anyone at all. Everything is okay. But the gospel says, I, I don't judge you. I'm judged by God, though. I'm, I'm a sinner, and the only thing I can do is accept you because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm going to actually draw you into my life and adjust my life to make space for you. Right? What this means, what this looks like is, so if, if, if you're a stronger, mature person, a person who finds it's okay to, say, drink or smoke or person who has no problem with listening to various kinds of, of music or watching different TV shows or, or uh, eating all kinds of different foods or talking in certain ways, you know, all of these kinds of things, things that Christians might characterize as more mature, right? If you're one of those people, what, what you need to say to yourself is, okay, I'm going to invite you over to my house today after church. I'd like you to come to my house. And I know that I'm a person who would normally make you feel uncomfortable. So we're going to just, just eat food for lunch that makes you feel comfortable. We're going to play some games and, and watch a movie and, and, and that just makes you feel comfortable. You know, if we have to watch 1950s, leave it to Beaver, that's okay. And, and we're going to, I'm going to have conversations with you and I'm going to listen to you without criticizing you or judging you, but just listen to what you have to say. And I'm going to learn from you. That's the way that people who have the gospel accept the weak. One great example of this comes from a missionary group in, in China in the 1940s. So Eric Little was that famous uh, runner who won the 1924 Olympics because he uh, he he didn't run the race he trained for, and instead he run the 400, which was this massive shift for him. Well, he went back to China in the 1930s and the 1940s, and he, he did a lot of missionary work. In the 1943, the Japanese came, and they rounded up all of the foreigners in China, and they stuck them in a compound called Shantung, Shantung Compound. They, they took, took about 2,000 foreigners, and they put them in a space about the size of our fields out there. Imagine 2,000 foreigners living in those fields. All right. 
2,000 foreigners. Uh, the parents, you can imagine, the parents could hardly stand the teenagers, and they would frequently tell them, run along and find something to do. Anybody who's ever told kids, let alone teenagers, run along and find something to do can imagine what happened. Nothing good. Uh, what happened can be only described as is very inappropriate. Parents finally had uh, a meeting and they found out what was going wrong. And the author reports that many of the parents were saying they need to do something and they were certainly wrong about it. You know, whoever they was, right? The classic let's blame somebody else situation. Not one parent at this meeting, though, came up with anything actionable to do and nobody volunteered to solve the problem for themselves. It was finally the missionary teachers who took the problem on themselves and decided, hey, we need to do something about this situation. And so they met together. They devised a program of evening activities for, for the students. The parents mocked it. They scorned it. And they said, ah, typical, too little, too late. But the teachers persisted at it. And they brought in the kids. And the kids eventually you know, really liked the program. Can you imagine what the parents said? Well, gee, it was about time they did something. And here's how the author summarizes the teachers. He says about the teachers, there was a quality seemingly unique to the missionary group, namely naturally and without pretense to respond to a need which everyone else recognized, only to turn aside. If there were any evidences of the grace of God observable on the surface of our camp existence, they were to be found here. Do you see what happened? You've got the, the, these parents who are, are with their broad-mindedness, you know, they're scorning their children, they're, they're, they're angry at them, and, and the parents, they should have right, been the strong, the mature ones to take it on themselves and do something for their weak kids. And, and the, the teachers could have easily, in their broad-mindedness, looked at the parents and said, ah, what are you doing, right? Step up to the plate, come on here. And instead, what did they do? They, they, they adjusted their life, they changed their life to, to conform to these kids, to welcome them in, to, to make space for them and it changed everything for them. Here's what it means, that people with the gospel, right, we don't just watch the weak, we actually accept the weak. We don't just stand there and watch and say, oh look, there's a, a person who, who seems to struggle to live according to the gospel. We make space for them in our lives so they can learn the gospel. Do you know where they got that power? The Apostle Paul says in, in verse 8 today, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. And so whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. If you belong to the Lord because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, then, then you no longer base your significance on either your broad-mindedness or your narrow-mindedness, and that changes everything. Instead, right, you base your significance on what Jesus has done for you. You might look like a moral person, but you don't base your importance on your morality. And so you don't look down on people who aren't as moral. 
Or if you're a, a, a very open-minded, a very big-minded person, a person who is, is constantly thinking about others and their needs, and, and you make space in your life for the poor. You don't base your life, though, on your significance. You base your significance on the fact that you're so open-minded. And, and so you don't look down on others who, who people might call bigots. Instead, right, it's by grace that your eyes are opened. Here's what we see when we look at Jesus. When I, when I look at Jesus, I see a, a, a man who's come on the cross and he says, yeah, you're weak, right? Here's how weak you are. You're sinners. And I, I need to come this low to you. But, but I'm weak with you. I, I'm weak here for you. I've, I've made space in my life. What he's doing is he's, he's opening up his life. He's, he's adjusting it to conform to you and to welcome you into his life. And when you see how he's made space like that, that's the, the one place where you can belong, where you can stand. That place to stand will give you the power, give you the strength so that you can adjust and conform your life to whoever is weak around you. Right? There, are, there are lots of different culture groups in our cities, in our places, in our towns right now. Maybe not different ethnicities, but different social groups, different people with, with family backgrounds, people with different economic backgrounds. And those problems are, are huge. Those, those make life together incredibly challenging. But they're also the one place where we can see our biggest possibilities. It's the one place where we can stand with endurance and really see grace. Right? Watchfulness only works with acceptance. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we leave here today that we would take the gospel and we would use it against the, the natural inclination of our hearts and our lives to hang out with people like us, to be with people like us, and to, to conform to people like us. Help us see that in the gospel we have this enormous resource to divide or to, to destroy the barriers that have divided people, that keep people disdaining one another, despising each other, excluding each other, whether we're narrow-minded or or open-minded, broad-minded. As the gospel destroys these, these false values and our questions about whether or not we're loved, then let it change us deeply from the way, from within, so that we can handle people as you handled us. Let us, Father, apply this to our hearts and our lives and love one another with true sincerity to accept even the weak among us our friends, our families, our neighbors. We pray this in Jesus' name.